Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, one of the kings of making chips, Jim Carr. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. You didn't say my friend. <laughs> I guess you're not I'm my not, friend anymore. No. You, know, no, you don't like me okay. today, right? You're okay today. Well, it feels good to be in our new Northwest Suburb studio today. I didn't have to go very far. Yeah, right in your I house. I didn't even have to put you my shoes in. You actually do have a studio. I mean, this is a legit studio in your house. Yeah, so, I well, mean, it's kind of nice to have this here. We used to record here when we were infants yeah. in the podcasting world. Remember we were that? Baby podcasters. Baby podcasters. And we used to drink a lot of wine while we did it, too. Yeah. Those days are gone. Nick was now like an, an embryo podcaster <laughs> at the time. <laughs> now we're pros. Well, speak for yourself. I'm not a pro yet. <laughs> So anyway, we're going to do some Technic podcast episodes. I'm really excited about that. I know you are too. I am too, because what do you know? I've been in the industry for over 40 years. I got a little bit of knowledge with regards to cutting tools. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's our mantra, tools. Jim? What's our mantra? Equip and inspire or manufacture? No, I mean, our mean? other mantra. I don't know. If you're not making chips. Not, you're not making money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and how do you make chips? You, you need, chips you need a cutting, a cutting tool. tool. Exactly. Right. But you need a machine tool. Well, and yeah, I guess, holding, need, I guess you need all that you stuff. Need, you need I guess a skilled... In, in my brain, yeah, well, as a you, cutting tool you're distributor, very that's all I think minded. about. You're very narrow-minded. <laughs> I'm focused, Jim. I'm focused. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yes, I'm Thank very you. focused. Thank you for letting the metalworking nation know that. But no, you need all those things. To be successful in this industry, you need a machine tool. You need a cutting tool. You need a work-holding process. And you need skilled people that are going to be able to have the knowledge and the fundamental skills to take that cutting tool, put it in the appropriate size holder, or run it at the appropriate RPM and feed rate according to the type of material that you're cutting, and that's when the magic happens. Yes. The thing that I'm looking for... What is the magic? The magic is when you see those chips flying, right? I tell you, I remember 20 years ago when Iskar came into my shop and they handed me a variable pitch end mill, and the salesman said, here, take this, run it at, I don't know, 4,000 RPM, 160 inches a minute, and don't use coolant. I think my my dad literally had a freaking heart attack because he thought, oh my God, that, that end mill is going to break in two seconds or else the end mill is just going to get burned up and turned to mush. Yeah, and not only, not only was and, that Iskar, but that was also Zenger's and our guest today that was there during that, that revolution in it your It was business. a revolution. It was a revolution. And I quite frankly, I have not seen anything that profound in 20 years. Well, now, maybe gonna, there is. Well, we're going to go there. Let's but before, do that. before we go there, yeah. why don't we talk about what's new at making chips and some manufacturing news? Or do you want to talk about what's new at, at Car Machine Tool? Well, we're looking forward to the Valley Industrial Association. We're going to be there. We're, we're up for two awards. And that's kind of exciting for culture and workforce development. We've already been nominated in two, category, two out of six categories. We'll see. Fingers crossed. We're excited. We're taking the whole team. It's going to be a dinner gala right on the Fox River in Geneva, Illinois. Yeah, I'll let good. you know. We had some exciting stuff happen. Not that you asked me because I know you're only concerned about what, yeah, what you care. have going yeah. on. I know, yeah. I know. But I'll, so I'll Very just, I'll narrow-minded. Just, I'll just break it. As the business has grown, we've gotten more complicated. And complications are not fun. 
And we had a little bit of a sales summit yesterday in order to kind of redirect ourselves as a company. And it was great to have some of my sales leaders in the room or kind of hashing out some issues and figure out what is our structure going to be going forward? Because we're not the same old tool store that we were 20 or 30 years ago. No. And things have gotten very complicated. We got vending machines all over the place and people out in the field. And we just used to be, a, we started out as a store selling end mills and drills and carbide inserts. And, and now business has just gotten complicated. And and we need to simplify it and really go to the market in a very impactful way. So we had this kind of exciting leadership sales summit yesterday that I'm kind of jacked up about. Good. So yeah. good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And why don't we go to Nick for what's Nick's new here. at making chips? Hey Nick's guys. Here. Hey Nick. How's yeah. it going? Good. Nick with the sweet beer. I hope you've got some good manufacturing. Something we can really sink our teeth into today. We got four pieces of content this week. So obviously this podcast is one of them. Cutting chips and cutting tools, 2019 trends. We've got an article kind of derived from the podcast that Jason actually wrote. It's about how carbide has changed, the grades of carbide have changed, mm. and how cutting tool trends have changed with it. Can't wait to read that one. You know you're not going to read that, Jim. <laughs> I almost took that seriously. Yeah, and if you're a new listener to Making Chips, you'll soon come to realize that Jim doesn't actually know how to read, so he can't read. <laughs> he, only, he only looks the at the That's the inside picture. joke here. If I only, I'm very visual. So we've got a new program called the Chip In Program where leaders from Metalworking Nation can contribute content that we publish on our platform and we tag them. Tony Schmitz, we had on the podcast recently, he's a doctor of mechanical engineering. He wrote a great article about how a simple tap test can dramatically improve your machining operation. As What's some, a tap test? It's a, like an impact test with an instrumented hammer. And it has to do with the harmonics in, in yeah, the machine. Yeah, all the different process, dynamics right? between the spindle, the tool holder, the machine tool itself, the work holding equipment, the workpiece. You do a tap test and it helps you optimize the dynamics of your machining operation to get better tool life, better surface finish. Where can the Metalworking kind of, Nation get that information? All at makingchips.com. If you subscribe, we'll send it directly to your inbox. The news this week, though, been a real buzz about this Foxconn. Oh, huge. Well, people outside of uh, the Chicagoland area may or may not know about that. I think that. this is pretty big national it's, news, though. Yeah. I mean, this is Was a it on the national facility. news? I think it was. Oh, yeah. okay. This is the big story about how manufacturing is supposed to be coming back to the U.S. And the article... Yeah, because we're finally manufacturing LCD screens here. That's awesome. We're supposed to be, but the article is... But we're not now. ...from Bloomberg about... Inside Wisconsin's disastrous $4.5 billion deal with Foxconn. And it talks about how a huge tax break was supposed to create a manufacturing paradise, but interviews with 49 people familiar with the project depict a chaotic operation unlikely to ever employ 13,000 workers. So I'm conflicted here. I don't really know. What's well, first the, of all, let's back news? up. B with a B, $4.5 billion. Billion, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty major. So don't tell me that the politicians of Illinois and Wisconsin were not somehow involved in that process. Yeah, I agree with you, Jim. My, under I know. my understanding is that that's a lot they, of money. They backed out of the manufacturing jobs. So what they're what they're talking about is it going from a manufacturing facility to be a research facility. And my understanding is that Wisconsin kind of flipped their political environment mm -hmm. and because of that it spooked the business investment in the state. Interesting. That's my understanding. Yeah. It could be there's all sorts from of the other side. This. But what's the status of this quote unquote trade war with China? This should be better if there's tariffs. You're manufacturing the stuff here, right? So. There's all sorts of angles on this, and we'll cover it in the curated piece that we publish on MakingChips. So you're going to keep us posted on the real because we don't, here at Making Chips we don't do fake news. That's right. <laughs> no, just so I know real quickly because I did not read the article, obviously, but. <laughs> 
I want to know a little bit more about what happened. Maybe somebody that has not heard about this Foxconn deal in southeastern Wisconsin. What was the whole impetus behind them coming to southeastern Wisconsin? They were going to set up a manufacturing plant to manufacture LCD screens. Okay. So, so the, and whole, then the whole notion the, is that... the kibosh on it? Well, we, we don't know the truth yet. The notion is that manufacturing costs have started to converge between the U.S. and some of the Asian countries, and they found that it would be just as effective to manufacture onshore as it was to effective offshore. Sure. You know, we've talked about that whole nearshoring is different than offshoring. Well, reshoring is just bringing those back to the United States. Nearshoring is when you say, okay, I'm going to produce in the United States for the North American market, and I'm going to produce in China for the Asian market or North Korea, and I'm going to produce in Germany for the European market, or just wherever it might be across those big platforms. But another big dynamic here was that they were supposed to be blue-collar jobs that were coming back. Now we're talking about how it's more of this R&D center. With a lot less jobs overall, so it'll so be the qu- my the price tag out. isn't going to be four point five billion anymore. It's going to be a lot less, or what? Jim, the truth, the whole truth is not out yet, so we don't know. Um, my my biggest issue is that if they were given these tax incentives and now they're not bringing the jobs, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, because Ooh. that's not fair. Okay. No, it's not because it's not, like small business owners like you and I and the metalworking nation, for the most part. We got to pay the full boat in our taxes. No kidding. And it's just not fair not if fair. if these companies get promised these tax incentives and then they don't fulfill on their promises because the politicians just capitulate on whatever it was that they promised to them in order to bring them into the state. And this isn't the first time Foxconn has done something like this. Oh, I didn't know that. No. So they've done stuff like this in All South over- America as well. Oh, okay. really? Where, where Interesting. They had big plans that didn't pan out. So. And we're definitely getting in over my head from a knowledge basis. I don't really understand that. But you know what I do know, Jim? What? And Mel. Yeah. And drills. I know them too. And carbon inserts. I've been using them my whole life. You can't make chips without those. You cannot make chips without those. So let's talk about them. Yeah. Can I introduce our guest? Do you have a bio on him? I I do. I have the bio in my head. He's one of my right hand men. And so I know all about him. His name is Tom Sanger. And he's been on my team for many, many years. His last name is actually very similar to Zenger. He's a long distant cousin. So instead of Z-E-N-G-E-R, he's S-E-N-G-E-R. So Wait, are you serious? I think he really... we don't know, but you, you think back in the family tree somewhere where we were related. Oh, um, come on. I never knew that. My that, brother that, from that, a different mother. Exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun fact. So Tom Sanger is the manager of our VIP program, which is our vending integration and productivity program. So what Tom and I work on together and Tom really leads is the vending operations at our clients, the integration into their operations, and helping our customers be more productive. So make more parts per hour, make parts at a lower cost, and really just produce more money, put more money on the bottom line for our manufacturing leaders. So, Tom, welcome to Making Chips. Thank you, Jason. Good afternoon, Metalworking Nation. Hey, Tom. Jim, Good to have Nick. you here, Nice man. to be here, everybody. Yeah. Have, and, and if you've been listening for a while, Tom's actually been on the show before for a little five-minute excerpt when Jim he and has? I... Yeah, we, we actually called him. We didn't even tell him we were calling oh, him. Oh, that's we, right. Yep. We got his feedback on something. Now, do you remember what it was, Tom? Oh, boy. Deep hole drilling, maybe? What is it? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> oh, that's a thing. So, sure, Tom, sure. you're involved in cutting tools on just a daily basis. I mean, you live it, you breathe it, you love it, don't you? I do. I do. It's who I am. It's my identity. I spend most of my 
waking moments thinking about it or talking to customers. It kind of goes in your blood. Your dad was in the manufacturing industry. Yes, my dad spent his whole life working in a screw machine shop. He was a standout in, in his own right back on the manual machines, and he retired about the time when CNC started coming around. But, in the uh, 80s. Prior to that, I was cleaning off round stock and just hanging out on oil. Okay, so you worked a little bit with your dad? Uh, just hanging out with him on the okay. weekends and stuff. Were absolutely. you a shop floor guy? I was not a shop floor guy. Okay. I went to school, and after college, I, I migrated towards manufacturing. And here I am today, almost 30 years later. You've been with the Zangers for a long time, right? 15 years. Coming yeah, up on what, 15 years now, yeah. That's a long time to tolerate me. Yeah. It really <laughs> no, is. No kidding. Thank God I don't have to see him every day, so. How many times has he been on time? <laughs> I can't recall once. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. At least no, you're honest. No problem. So, Tom, we're talking about cutting tool trends, and you and I, we, we talk about applications that are clients all the time because we're driven to save our customers money. And so being on the cutting edge of the manufacturing process, choosing the right cutting tools is just imperative. And when we talked about how we were going to approach this episode, we were going to break it down into different product categories for the most part and just talk about what the trends are, not only in cutting tools, but also just the trends in the manufacturing world like i assume 30 years ago the jobs were easier would you would you agree with that Jim? not necessarily well it was just they, different they, the way we approach tolerances the they, they yeah they well had to the machine been. tools and the cutting tools can cut tighter tolerances more consistently than they could right. years ago right. whereas when you had a manual equipment you were reliant on the dial of the the quill or or the x and the y axis of the the bridge board or or the lathe so yeah the consistency that we can maintain tolerances nowadays is a lot better right so the first thing that we're going to talk about is drilling where is the manufacturing world going to mostly as it re- relates to drilling and, and what are cutting tool manufacturers doing in order to to meet those demands? Well, what we're seeing a lot of in the last several years is everybody is ma- making very small diameter drills with very long lengths. So our length of diameters have gotten very long and very small diameters. Coolant through is the buzzword. Everybody, all the machine builders are going more and more to coolant through and the cutting tool people are following suit. And what we're seeing also in the drilling are tools that are more multifunctional, maybe a tool that will also drill, countersink, chamfering, things like that. Ramping. So you're talking about like a lathe operation, they're doing just multiple operations. Sure, sure. Trying to do more with that tool when the door closes on that part every time. How does that help manufacturer to have that multifunctional tool? With a multifunctional tool, if he's limited on the number of spots in his machine cabinet or on his turret, if he has one tool that can say, for example, drill, Turn an OD, face an end of a bar, he saves considerable amount of room in, in his cabinet. It's not necessarily optimal to have the best tool for that exact operation because I would imagine in my head that a multifunctional tool wouldn't be as fast as, say, like a single-use tool. No, not no, necessarily true? No, no, no not true. No, not, not anymore. You know, back in the day, maybe that was true, but nowadays, no. We com- very commonly use tools that are multifunctional and see a big difference in throughput every day. So, for instance, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but I think I can elaborate on this. Let's say you have a piece of three-quarter inch aluminum, three-quarter wide by four inches long, and there's five 875 plus one thousandth minus minus zero holes in that part. Years ago, you used to have to go with a center drill, with a drill. Yeah, you spot the hole, and then you drill a hole, drill a hole this time, and then drill a bigger hole, and then drill another bigger hole, and then come back with a reamer. No, come back with a reamer. reamer Now I would just take maybe a 3-8 diameter solid carbide through the spindle coolant, 
end mill that's going to really high pressure coolant on that cutting tool, get the, ch- get the chip out, extract it from the flutes of the end mill, get it out of the material, and just ramp in and start circular interpolating that hole. I would probably come down, I would ramp in, I would get it to about maybe 850 thousandths in diameters, and then I'd come back out and go right back in, and i just skim and finish it. One tool. That's it. You're going to get your center distance is going to be there because you're using Enmil and you've got it in the CNC machine tool. And you've got the advantage of using the cutting tool diameter and the parameters of the machine to control the diameter of the hole. Whether or not the Enmil is 3 8 or 4 37 or 393 thousandths, you're going to be able to control the diameter of the hole with the parameters of the diameter in the machine, in the CNC machine. And what we're talking about here mostly is probably drilling operations on a lathe, right? Drilling on a lathe or a mill for that matter. We can use a lot of the same technology on either platform. Big thing that we're seeing also in drilling now is flat bottom drills. A lot of customer parts call out for a flat bottom. And there are now a lot of flat bottom indexable drill inserts, replaceable tip inserts. Is that so you don't have to follow up with an end mill? You don't have to follow up with an end mill. You can drill the size. You don't have to center drill because the drill, a lot of these tips have built-in center points on them. And you can drill from a solid with a flat bottom drill up to a very large diameter now mm-hmm. with replaceable tip. For the metalworking nation who's not familiar with like replaceable tip drills, tell us a little Basically bit more about it. Are you guys is. using replaceable tip? We are. Okay. Yes, Basically car. what it is, it's a high-speed steel drill body, usually coolant through. And on the end of that steel body, Body, you can put a whole bunch of different drill choices. Usually one drill body will hold a range of say 40 thousandths different diameters and you can put drill points, flat bottom drill points on there, chamfering tools, just a myriad of and different And you can even now, just to move on to milling, you can even do that on milling tools now as well. Absolutely. And the whole concept behind it is most of our customers in the nation are job shops where they want to be able to use that tool on many different jobs that come through the door. And it just lends itself well to many different setups. And you're not using as much carbide, so that helps to cut back exactly. on the overall Carbide cost. is sold by the gram, so the least amount that we can use are will have a lower cost. Great. What's the only disadvantage to that, and that there's a lot of yeah, advantages ahead. to that, but if you're going, if you're drilling in with a, a solid a replaceable carbide tip. Oh, okay. replaceable tip, flat bottom, or maybe they're typically 140 degrees the included angle on mm-hmm. those type of coolant through indexable carbides is if you miss it with the speed and feed or you happen to get a chip in there and it breaks, you can break the carbide tip and then you break the body and now you now you got some big expense. It's it is, you know, that's entirely possible, but I gotta tell you, little Jim, that very rarely happens in our world. If the customer's using enough coolant through the drill, right, the coolant um, is, and, is and they're using our feed rates and surface footage, right. they they work great. They really, really work good. Very, so very efficient tool. And, and that's where you need to have somebody there that has that expertise and can drive you in the right direction in order to not Absol- make those kind absolutely. of mistakes. Absolutely. All of the manufacturers put recommended speeds and feeds and chip loads and everything on their on their packaging. But in real world, it's always nice to have somebody stand in there the first time around. Right. Hold your hands and hit cycle start. Actually, Tony Schmitz's article that he chipped in this week actually talks about the manufacturer's recommended speeds and feeds. And that's one of the reasons why you have to do that tap test is because once you add all the different 
variables, variables and yep. it may not meet that recommendation. Right, so. right. It could be more, it could be less. Well, I think Tony said that those speeds and feeds recommendations that the manufacturers of the cutting tools are generating are under, he said you could typically very, go over. Very, very conservative. Tom could probably comment very, on that. Very, yeah. very, very And I would think it would just be the opposite because they're trying to sell a tool, right? Yeah, you, you would think so, Jim. You would From think a market, so. You're thinking as a marketer. But they want to appeal to a wider market and use it on all your different sorts of materials, and they don't want you to blow it up, so they always start really, really conservative. Yeah, and then you could always just ramp it up from there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you would think. Yeah. What about the size? What are the smallest diameters that you're seeing with cooling through? Sometimes it's kind of mind-boggling to me the, the, when I see these drills you know, and they have cooling seeing, holes in them. You know, a millimeter and a half cooling through drills, eight times diameters long, and just, just crazy things that we couldn't have thought about 10 years ago. That's a Swiss application. It's a, a lot it? of Swiss applications, a lot of aerospace applications mm-hmm. now that we're seeing. We're seeing more and more of it everywhere. What about tolerancing, Tom? I know that the big thing for us is, again, if we can reduce the amount of tools in the tool carousel and down from what would typically you'd need three or four tools down to one or two is significantly going to be more efficient for us. What kind of tolerances can those new solid carbide through the spindle coolant drills hold with regards to hole tolerance just by blasting through. I know it's a lot better than it used to be it's, in the days of high-speed steel. It's probably steel. a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, one drill body that I know, they make a drill tip every every fourth hour for that. And I would say that it's better than a thousands repeatability or, or tolerance on there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. and it's consistent. Carbide manufacturers have learned really how to make great molds now and their molding technology is awesome. And so they can do that with a high degree of repeatability from box to box or even from lot to lot, month to month. It used to be back in the day when you probably started using carbide inserts for the first time, everything was ground. And now they have molding technology in order to make those inserts into just some exotic shapes. Absolutely. What about the coatings that are on them? How important is the coating? Coatings are everything. What we're seeing now in all the different That's uh, a higher temperature alloys and strange materials that we're seeing and even just poorer quality materials that we're getting in from from some parts of the world. You know, poor quality materials. Poor quality materials, but they, the coating means everything. They're all several layers of coatings now: TIALNs, TICN, TIN, multiple layers. It's not just tin coated; it's seventeen uh, layers of different. Oh yeah, for heat dissipation and for lubricity. And then the big thing has been lately, the last couple of years, is the post treatment coating. What they do is they come over the top of the insert and they apply a sheer uh, a sheen to it if you will yeah we're talking about a polish it's almost, right it's almost a polished surface you we've had some applications where that polish really made a huge oh, difference tremendous right? tremendous difference maybe an increase of 20 25 percent in in tool life and the reason being carbide is very porous if you look at it under under magnification it looks like the pores of your skin and what will happen is the material that you're cutting and the elements will get into those pores and the carbide's going to break down. By doing the post-treatment coating over it, it seals it up, makes it very lubricous and shiny, and you get much better chip flow. What about carbide quality, Tom? What's the difference between buying a cheap or a lower value solid carbide end mill that has a substrate was the word I was searching for in my head that has a, a different substrate than some of the higher quality carbides out there. Tell me about that. The higher quality carbides out there, your really high performance end mills right. that we're seeing everybody, everybody makes a pretty good one now. We're going into more smaller grain carbides, into nanograin carbides. And as the grain structure gets smaller, the tool life will go up and your performance stays longer. It's 
it's going to give you a lot longer predictable tool life. Combined with the coding, everybody's making really good tools out there now. Well, how about we move on to milling, Jim? That's really I, your that's environment, and I know you, you know do. you want to hear about that. We've got solid, and we've got indexable milling. Tell us what the trends are right now in, in that arena. The big thing in, in milling right now that you hear and see everywhere is fast feed or high feed milling. And high feed's been around for a while. High feed's been around for a long time, 10 years. It's been evolving. It it just keeps getting better year after year. The machine tool guys, again, are pushing the carbide builders, you know, carbide tool builders to get better. And what we're seeing is a lot of smaller diameter high feed cutters now. Yeah, that's amazing. Are you talking about like a three quarter inch indexable end mill? No, smaller than that. We're we're even going down to an indexable end mills, even like three eighths and half inch now. Really? They can ramp, they can ramp in. That can ramp in four to five degrees, circling okay. plate in, and yep. they just really have done a good job of matching the CAD software to the tool now. Is that the big difference nowadays? That's it. The CAD software people have teamed with the manufacturers, the, manufacturers, the, the carbide tool manufacturers, and together now they've really got it. They've got it nailed. So you can optimize any process. Just say you go into a CAD CAM system and go into their dynamic milling section, let's say. They have libraries already built from manufacturers' tools that are on the market right now, and it's night and day the productivity increases when using the correct tool and the dynamic program. And Jim, I think that you, you were talking about that event that happened 20 years ago when you got that. When I had my aha moment. When you had your aha moment and you got that variable helix end mill and it just started just producing way more than, and and I think that what Tom is talking about with the CAD CAM software makers partnering up with the manufacturers, I think that's the aha moment nowadays. It really is. You know, when we all started learning about radial chip thinning and, and high-speed machining, it, it was a big game changer. So what, what is it about that's making such a, a difference in the high feed? Uh, one of the things that I've seen is that there's now, instead of there being a high feed end mill, there's 10 choices of high feed end mills, like depending Every, on what material you're cutting. All the, all, all the big guys out there right now, they have a portfolio of probably 10 to 12 to 15 different high feed cutters, right. depending upon the material that you're working in or the diameter you're working in. If you want four effective corners or six effective corners, they're just keep pushing that envelope with their molding technology to put more corners on any given insert. Yeah, because it used to be you got four corners, right? And now four you get corners, what, three like, corners, what's two the max, corners. What's the max corners that you're, you're connecting oh, customers you know, to I, right you now? Know, 16, we, we, we've almost. seen like, like six on some of the heavier hog and high feed cutters, but then if you want to go to a strictly like a face milling cutter, a 45 yeah. degree just, cutter, yeah, just standard face mill. You, we see 12 to 16 corners yep. on there. Yeah, and, and that really brings the cost of that insert. High positive high shear. Maybe the inserts that I'm thinking of, a couple of them, all they always have or they will have a built-in wiper flat on it. Yep. So we're seeing improved My, surface finishes. Yep. And with the wiper, you can kick up your feed rate a little bit more. It's just a win-win for the shop owner. And so what? Like, what's the cost per corner? On, a dollar. On like that. Yeah, like, that's amazing. Or less. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it used to be years ago where you had to do a secondary operation of grinding, but now we can control the tolerances and the micro finish both with the cutting tools that are out there. So years ago, I remember the mid-80s, we all the secondary operations that would used to go through the Madison grinder were gone. We don't, we don't use that anymore. We can hold the tolerance in the machine tool. It repeats. The cutting tools are just moving the material off so quickly. And then, of course, like Tom said, the wipers are just generating these awesome ground micro finishes. 
One of the things that I happen to know, this is making chips breaking news, is that there's a major, if we could move on to solid carbide end mills, there's a major solid carbide end mill manufacturer who's actually transitioning all of their general purpose end mills from a standard end mill to variable helix because they feel like that's the new general that's the purpose. New no- that's the new norm. So it, the new norm is going to be variable helix for the price of a normal end mill. And I think and that that's where we need secret? to go. Well, it's not a secret anymore. It's a major carbide Manufacturer, manufacturer, hmm. yes. So that'll be do interesting. I know them? Breaking news, yes, you do. Yeah. Okay. What else are you seeing in solid solid carbide end mills? Solid carbides, they just keep getting smaller and very material specific geometries. I know, Jim, you cut a lot of aluminums. It's, You're aluminum it cutters, but that's what they've had aluminum Ten cutters years for ago, a long we were time. Eighty percent cast iron. Now we're 80% aluminum. So, so like material specific, how specific are we getting here? Well, just depending upon if you're doing steel, stainless steels, exotic alloys, inconels, what have you, there's... There's an end mill for that material. There's there's geometry specific, material specifics for all of that. Yes, absolutely. That's great. And another, another big trend that we're seeing in end milling is customers are moving away from buying that solid carbide tool again, and they're going into options that allow you to have a steel shank and put many different types of end mill heads onto the end of that shank, screw-on shanks. Oh, I mean, because if you're not like using... Like a mini-master or something. Exactly. Yeah, if you're not or using the whole A lot of variations yeah, like multi-master. that. And again, the whole thought is carbide is sold by the gram, by, yep. by weight. Yep. And so we can usually save some money there, but we can also mold a lot of complex geometries into these tools. Mm-hmm. And we use, or a lot of the manufacturers will be using sub or nanograin style carbide. And what that means for the shop owner is that if he's running a job or he has an operator running a job, and the tool is getting worn, just simply stop the cycle, use a wrench, remove it, replace it, hit cycle start. You don't have to touch off anymore. You don't have to preset that tool anymore. And your insert changeover is usually less than a minute versus the other old school way. The guy takes the tool out, goes to the tool crib, and it takes a considerably longer time. That's great. Are you seeing a transition from people using general purpose geometries to to more formed application, sure, job sure. specific? Yeah. And you know, when we look at what we're selling and the general purpose uh, business is going away. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to optimize every moment in the shop. It's all about minutes. Every minute costs a dollar or more. And that's what we got to think about. Okay, let's move on to turning. So, Jim, I know you're not a turning guy. We're not a turning um, shop. You're not no. a turning shop. And no. I know you've you've kind of hinted around about maybe buying a, a lathe in the future, but you absolutely know, may or may not happen. Yeah. So, what are you seeing in turning cutting tool trends? Again, what we're starting to see now a lot is the again more high feed. Okay, every part needs to and be high cut. feed never used to be used. The term never no, used to be used. Never in turning really before. used to think about it in terms of lathe machines, but nowadays we can apply the same principles as we do in high feed milling to the lathe machines. So if you're cutting off whatever you're cutting off, if it's a little bit larger diameter than say two or three inches, we can very rapidly accomplish that now. So in, in less in passes, a cutoff tool, in cutoff tools. Over the years, the materials have changed, but a lot of them have stayed the, the same, and we're still running similar surface footage and RPMs as we would have over the years. But what we can really make a big difference on is the feed rate, okay, depth of cut and feed rate. It's really amazing what we're starting to see now in that in, in the lathe arena now. So is that mean gone is the old CNMG and WNMG and well, there uh, DNMG. Were, what's happening is the CNMG, WNMGs are also, those are becoming 
the reiterations of those, we have high feed versions of those now, okay. where they're making those inserts the same geometries, but maybe a little bit thicker to and maybe the to pitch, take more the, the heat angle, the way that they, they're articulated the on the inclination tool. in the pocket. They yep. want a more positive geometry, yep. so you can push them harder. Push them harder. Yeah, well, it's like shearing. Like push I always harder. think, yeah. if you take a, a soft piece of butter and you take the butter knife and you stand it ninety degrees and you push the butter that it's going to be pretty hard to do that but if you angle the knife the butter knife at like a 45 degree angle and you just shear the top of the butter off it's going to come off a lot faster easier and smoother that's how i articulate that process is that how you butter your bagel chip it's not i don't i don't put butter on my bagel yeah, i put cream cheese on it a lot less spindle load and yeah oh right the you spindle know, load too our, because it's not creating a lot of it's not dragging torque. it's not negative right it helps dramatically so and a lot of that goes back to tom just the molding technology again right as a lot you to be able to make those different kind of geometries. A lot of complex yep. geometries, yeah. How about cutoff and groove? What are we seeing in that arena? And especially in, in the cutoff is where we're is where we're starting to see a lot a lot of high feed applications also, where we can get through that bar quickly and get on to the next operation of facing the next bar. Well, the um, problem is, is if you have a big diameter, maybe a four inch that you need to cut off, how are you going to actually get in there with a grooving tool to cut that off? Because you've got to go, you've got to bury that cutoff tool in two inches on a diameter. If it's a four inch diameter, two inches on the radius. You got to have a lot of coolant in there. You got to make sure that the chip is coming off and out yeah, of that. Absolutely. And the manufacturers have gotten good at that, utilizing like maybe a blade style cutoff yeah. tool for a four to six or an eight inch diameter. Right. Coolant through cool. a lot of the lasers. Cool. Oh, yeah. They have, they have oh, yeah. yeah, the, the coolant, coolant is coming off. I can imagine what that looks you know, like. I've never seen it, but I can imagine. And you can it. kick up your, your feed rate another 10 or 15% just awesome. with the advent of higher pressure coolant going through. It really helps a lot keeping that cutting zone cooler, extended insert life, and a cutoff on a six inch that may take you eight or nine seconds previously. You can do it in four seconds now. And what, what are the widths of those cut? Let's say I had a four inch diameter uh, 12L14 material that I needed to cut off completely. What would be the stand? What would, would be say, the best application? I would for probably thickness? steer you into like maybe a three millimeter 118 mm-hmm. wide cutoff. Mm-hmm. It seems like most of the manufacturers, they Sounds spend a lot of time around that diameter or, yep. or that width Interesting. with uh, a lot of different choices in chip breakers and grades and left-handed, right-handed or cooling neutral, through. neutral style, cooling through. So yeah, they're progressing as fast as the milling guys are. Now, what about the turret? I don't know this because I don't live in this world day by day, but where do you position the top of the tool just below center line? I mean, not a, certainly not above center No, we line. want that thing as close to center as, as possible. Really? Maybe just, just, a, uh, just a hair low, but definitely what, not what, above. A hair, a hair is four thousandths of an inch. Less so, than that. <laughs> seriously? Yeah, oh, we, so it's that close? I mean, yeah, I thought we, maybe we fifty thousandths, a hundred thousandths. No, we want to no. keep them real close. Okay, interesting. Did not know that. I didn't realize he was talking about a literal hair. Yeah, well, he said hair. <laughs> During our episode with Tony Schmitz, one of the last things I want to talk about, it's not not necessarily cutting tools, but during our episode with Tony Schmitz when we talked about harmonics, which I would absolutely encourage the Metalworking Nation to go Very check important. that episode out, was Tony told us, and I don't know if he told us this on microphone, nothing is better than shrink. He said, hands down, if you can shrink fit your tools, you shrink fit your tools. What Would you agree? I totally agree with him. Shrink is the And it's be- always nice when you agree with a PhD, a you doctor. Know, that's that's right. Exactly. I'm not going to f- pick that fight. It is by far the best way to hold a carbide round tool is 360 degree engagement with the shank. You won't 
be pulling that cutter out under an aggressive milling cut. You have the less TIR than any other way of holding it. We have a client who you and I have talked about this, that we would love to upgrade them to shrink fit for their entire shop. Absolutely. But don't say car machine. No, no, no. I wasn't even going to. Well, we could talk about that at a later time, but this particular client, it would cost them six figures to make an upgrade. It would be a big six figure. But what what would it actually do for them if they were to make that type of an upgrade? The, The dime old industry has realized this years ago. They run a lot of small cutters. They're always very progressive. Very progressive. They want the latest and the greatest and the fastest. There's not a lot of extra time or money in their jobs, so they have to do it right the first time as quickly as possible. A lot of long reaches, cavity work, reaching around vices, fixtures, what have you. The shrink system allows you to have various length holders and not compromise your TIR. So if a shop were to make this kind of investment, are they going to see longer tool life? Are they going to see, Absolutely. you know, okay, Absolutely. is that the biggest factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You got less harmonics. You're going to see longer tool life, especially on your smaller diameter cutters, and you're going to see improved surface finishes. Great. What is the interference fit on a shrink fit application? Do you know? What is the the interference fit? Interference fit. So if you have a three-quarter inch solid carbide end mill and a three-quarter inch end mill holder that's going to be shrink fit, you want the end mill diameter is going to be larger than the tool holder bore. So you heat that up, the bore expands oversized to the end mill OD, you put the end mill in, and then as it cools, it shrinks down. What is that? Do you happen to know what that interference is? Is it 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000? I, off the top of my head, I'm not really sure. Okay, I'm just curious. I just, because- I know it's not much. Because you're not holding it with a set screw like on a Weldon shank, right? No, it's just you're simply heating it, right. sliding the tool in, and mm-hmm. as it cools, you, you get 360-degree engagement. Yeah, I, I understand that concept, but I just when you say you can get really aggressive with the cutting parameters, I think, man, I hope that doesn't pull out of the end mill holder, and that's why I wondered what the interference yeah. fit was. You're less apt to have a tool pull out of a shrink holder than you say... Hydraulic or, or, or say, say an ER32. Right. Yeah, right, because the there's day. nothing holding it in. We're, but with a weld-on shank, you've got the set screw that's got the flat. Yeah, and then, what, and then what happens is you knock it off off center line yeah, by, I get by a thousand or, or, yep. or, or two. So Yeah, I understand. So Tom, thank you. We appreciate you coming in and give us some insight. And once again, I'm glad that you're on my team. And well, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having you me. And, appreciate you know, it, yeah. Jim. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Metalworking Nation. This is Caleb, the team lead at Making Chips. If you liked what you heard today and want to learn more, go to makingchips.com/tooling. That's makingchips.com/tooling. So Jim, what changes, what trends that Tom talked about kind of get you a little bit excited to, to try out? Oh, the definitely those tool? those indexable end mills for sure, because we're going to be cutting a lot of aluminum this year and we want to be able to spin that spindle as fast as we can and we want to be able to remove the metal as fast as we can. We don't want to have to replace a lot of carbide and we don't want, we certainly don't want to send the solid carbide end mills out for resharpening. A, it degradates the diameter. I'm still not sold on those resharpeners getting the cutting tool geometry exactly what the manufacturers... Jim, the, don't worry about that. The software with the new grinders that our, that our grind yeah. houses are using, we can duplicate just about any manufacturer's edge. You know that, and I know that, but you try and sell a veteran machinist in my shop that the third-party 
cutting tool guy is going to do it as good as the manufacturer. I'm just saying facts are facts. It, it is. They make special CNC grinding machine that are just for regrinding tools. Yeah, I'm sure you know what you're talking about, and I'm sure you're right. It's just where you are and where the shop floor machinist is, there's a big it takes disparity. Some time to overcome those perceptions. It does, it does. And But the indexable smaller diameter tools is probably something that we should think about for the New year. Well, Tom and I will get one in there for you to try. Samples out. are always good. We probably send about <laughs> <Cheap> twenty. <skate. laughs> no, I just I want to know. You know. We we probably resharpen twenty five or thirty thousand dollars worth of solid carbide round tools every single month. Okay, yeah, that's a it's big a huge, part of our business. Huge and, business, and for we us. have to make sure that that is up to the standards of some major production the manufacturing OEM. companies. Yes, right, absolutely. absolutely. Tom, well, once again, thank, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom and, and Jim. If you're not making chips with cutting tools, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> so ask me what's going on in my business, Joe. Do I have to? <laughs> well, you're going to go on for 10 minutes. What's new with Zanger's Black? Um, Wait, let me go get a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to start smoking because of this. <laughs>